0: our MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the 10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Hellastic. Welcome everyone. My name is Stephen Hellastic and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions provides easy to set up lines of credit for small business and I will be your host for today's entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you are interested in learning more about a line of credit for your business, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS is a Financing Solutions Credit dot com. On that site, you can read about us. Uh, we've been a business for 12 years. We, are, uh, we provide small businesses uh, a great backup plan for cash. And I firmly believe that every business owner should have a backup line of credit just in case. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the 5 million to 25 million dollar range including two companies that have made the Inc 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Roy Osing and uh, just before we get to Roy, uh, I want to tell you about a, uh, a a new advertiser we have on today's uh, podcast. Um, it's you know it's all about cybersecurity. This new company, they're not new; they've been around for a long time. But uh, you know what they really do is help companies deal with cybersecurity uh, issues in regards to being proactive and reactive. Their name is Technology Management Group, or TMG and they've been doing this for over 30 years uh, so if you have a cybersecurity issue or if you're concerned about it which you know kind of we all are then please give them a call uh, or you know or visit their website at cyberctrl.net again at cyberctrl.net uh today's guest Roy OSing Singh is a guy who took a startup internet company to a billion dollars in sales. Roy is a former president, CMO, and entrepreneur with, only four, with over 40 years of successful and unmatched executive leadership experience in every aspect of business. As president of a major data and internet company, his leadership and audacious, unheard of ways took the company from its early stage to a billion dollars in annual sales. He is a blogger, content marketer, and mentor to young professionals. As an accomplished business advisor, he is the author of the no-nonsense book series, Be Different or Be Dead. And also, with the audacious unheard of ways, I took a startup to a billion in sales um, as his seventh. So. I want to welcome Roy today to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Roy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Stephen. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'll be blunt and honest with you. When I see a topic, which is um, how someone took a company to a billion dollars in sales, I I have to uh, be skeptical. Uh, And I know it's not the case with you, Roy, but... Tell me a little bit about the company that you built
1: well first of all, I don't blame you for being skeptical I mean it doesn't happen all that often particularly the way that we did it because we did it in I call it audacious ways but really simple ways that lit fires in people focused on execution and kept going we didn't know it was going to be a billion it was a it was a, a it wasn't a startup in the in the classic sense in other words it was an early stage data company. Just when the internet started to go, and I was asked to take on the job of a president and taking this 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 organization and growing it um, to take advantage of the new market opportunity, we didn't know it was going to be a billion. We know we knew it was going to be large, um, but we just we just started going by by breaking away from it was it was sat in a it sat in a classic telephone company environment. So the challenge was really we had to break away from a telco and create a highly entrepreneurial, competitive, customer focused business around Internet uh, IP technology. And so it was a huge challenge. Just the cultural stuff alone was, was, was really quite uh, significant. And we had to create a new culture. We had to create a growth orientation, a customer service orientation, competitive orientation, and we just started, we built ourselves a plan. And we can talk about that if you want, because I'm not a fan of traditional strategic planning, it never worked for me. Um, we had to, I had to create my own planning approach. We created a, what I call a strategic game plan based on execution. And we just started hammering away at it, hammering away at it, started doing uh, things that, that really the people love to do. First of all, they loved the journey, they believed in the journey. And the sorts of uh, techniques and methodologies, and I call them my audacious ways, that we introduced, got captured their hearts, uh, captured their minds. But it was their hearts that really made a difference, Stephen, because that's what fed the execution process. And and I'm an executioner. I mean, if you can't execute it, I don't even want to talk about it. You know. So that's how we built the business. And several years later, I mean, that business today is 18 billion a year, 18 billion. And I'd like to think that. That my team and I played a small part in that way back in the day.
0: When, when you first st- when you first started that business, when you moved away from the telco, um, what was what was the revenue at that point?
1: Oh, I mean, it was it was like oh, you're testing my memory here. It it was probably in the uh, in the ten million dollar range. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah so a- it was like we're talking order of magnitude growth here. And uh, you know, I guess in retrospect, not a bad example of scaling a business. Uh, the difference was th- the way that that I chose to lead to scale was based on the revenue side, and I dragged the cost side with me. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people today when they think of scaling, they think of of cost. You know, and start driving unit costs. Well, I didn't. I didn't do it that way. I said, look at what we need to do is we need to get revenue growing disproportionate to cost, and if we can do that, we're going to scale a business. And that's how we kind of did it. We did manage the cost side, but we led with the revenue side and figured it out. And um, yeah, it, it was a ride. I get, I get goosebumps when I think about it. I got to tell you, it was a tremendous achievement on, on, on behalf of a lot of people who worked their buns off for years to get us there.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting when you, when you like my first eight and a half years, I worked for Xerox and uh, I loved it. I really did. And so I, I, you know, I know what it was like to work for a big company and then I'm, I started my own businesses. Uh, it's interesting because you use the word scale. And I think when it, there's like terminology that people will use and they might even have a different concept of what the definition is. If you're working for a huge company versus a small company uh, you know, scale at a big company is exactly the way you said it, which is reducing unit costs, you know, to compete on that level. But I think a lot of small business owners that are $110 million in sales, think of scale as how can I scale up my business so I don't have to work in it. So, you know, so that I can have everybody else. And that's fine. I mean, it really, it, it accomplishes the, the you know, something similar, but um, you know, but, That's a a big, that's a huge change from $10 million to a billion dollars. And so let me ask you this question. And and again, there's a lot of hard questions today um, that that I'm asking you, but that I think I'm going to ask you, but the, how much of that growth occurred because of the opportunity versus the incredible execution that you have? And you can't say both.
1: No, it's all based on execution. I mean, opportunity, it was on execution. opportunity without execution gets you nothing. Okay, and I'm a guy that says, okay, I'm going to get the plan just about right. As I said, I, we didn't know what, what the end game was going to be in terms of numbers, etc. What we did know is the opportunity was huge. If we could capitalize on that by being an, an extremely flawless execution orientation, behaving as a small company, that's why I talk about scaling the way I did. We weren't this this monolith. We were a small pocket of turned on, emotionally charged people that were given an amazing challenge and we rose to it. And, but the focus was all on execution. I mean, I was, I was and I didn't look at it um, in ways that other people did it because execution to me is a function of arousing passion in people. It's not a function of processes and, oh yeah, you need those. But by the way, if you don't have people turned on. Right with a with a vision and a view to actually do something, then your processes and systems are worthless. And so we spent all of our time figuring out as a leader, as I call it audacious leadership in retrospect, didn't call it that at the time, but it was audacious because it was breakaway. I mean, I did things that people thought were crazy, that were ridiculous, that weren't covered in the textbooks. Duh, that's exactly the point. They weren't covered in the textbook. Because they were, they were needed in a different way to light people's fires. And so, that, so I, I mean, the, the planning model, Stephen, that I actually created called strategic game planning was basically built around this notion that, that said, we need to execute. Okay, we need to get the plan just about right, because it'll never be perfect anyways. And we need to execute uh, the, the, the dam out of it every day out through people and turned on passion that they have. And so today, I mean, I help small businesses create the strategic game plan in 48 hours. I mean, it's that simple. It's a very defined process. It's not recognized by the pedantics because it doesn't use traditional stuff. It's based on what works in the real world. Um, And and I have to tell you, um, it was very, very helpful in terms of focusing on the critical stuff that we had to focus on to get the run rate of the business where we needed to be. Which eventually led to a billion and on to 18. But yeah, it was all execution yeah. focused.
0: Yeah, I, I listen, I, I've said this before in other podcasts. The unsexy part of running a business, it's not for me, okay? Because <laughs> I love execution. I love, uh, you know, running uh, something that's running like clockwork. That to me is exciting, okay? But a lot of entrepreneurs, people who've started their own businesses, they get excited about the idea. And then once the idea is actually implemented, they, for, they lose interest. See, that's part and of the problem. It is the problem. problem. It that's is the that's problem. why
1: five out of 10 uh, new businesses die in the first 36 months. You get, look, at, at the idea doesn't get you anything. The idea achieves nothing. Okay. Without execution. And that's what a lot of people, they are academically kind of like turned on. It's kind of like having an academic orgasm, Stephen, is what it is. They get all excited about the idea. Yeah. The reality yeah. is, if it doesn't degenerate into crude deeds, nothing happens. And so I am ex- i come at it exactly the other way. I say, we're going to head west. Don't know exactly whether we're going to end up in Vancouver, or San Francisco, but we're going to head west. We're going to put together a execution plan and we're going to execute and learn on the run. And we're going to modify okay, our, our direction based on our results. And when we get there, we will know. But when we start out, we don't. Look, at the world is too complicated to plan with precision. In fact, I think it's an insult to some, some people's intelligence that you could actually imply that you can have a point estimate that is even within the realm of poss- possibilities when there's so many variables to account for. Look at, I'm a math guy. I didn't solve any business problem using a differential equation or linear regression analysis. I can tell you that right now. It may have provided a basis for my thought, but that's about it. You got to keep your feet moving. You, you just got to run at something and learn from it and modify it on the run. And that's one of the things that people really were excited about when I would talk to them. I say, look, at, I, th- I think this is right, but we're not going to know unless you guys execute like with precision to find out can you help me can you help us do that and they go oh yeah yeah we can do that we can do that so they believed in that approach and and my whole leadership life was like that was trying to create simple practical things that people thought were 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 something that they could get their hearts around and just go with it
0: Let's talk about the three critical steps that you learned in execution to have really great, uh, and I don't want to use, I, I'm going to use the word flawless execution, but I don't like that word because I don't think anything's flawless. That's that's crazy, but, um, but let, give us three highlights of the things that made you unique in your execution approach to, to execution.
1: Yeah. So the first thing was basically what we were talking about, which is creating a a game plan that was really built around the whole execution model. I call it strategic game plan. It's got three really simple idea, answer three questions and you have your game plan. First question is how big do you want to be in 24 months? Not five years because the fifth year, Stephen never shows up as we know it's 24 months. And that's all about where do you want top line going? If you're 5 million, do you want to be a 20 million? Do you want to be a 10 million? It makes a difference to start with that. Okay, because that number determines the characteristic and risk profile of your strategy, not the other way around. Everybody else would create a strategy and then derive the economics, which I always thought was a little nonsensical because they never liked the number and they changed the assumptions without changing the strategy, which is kind of like silly. So how big do you want to be? Secondly, where are you going to get the money? Who do you want to serve? And that's trying to define as few customer groups as you can that have the latent potential to drive to that, how big the third says, how are you going to compete and win? And this is a huge one because this says, all right, how are you going to be unique in the marketplace? How are you going to create a differential advantage over everybody else there? So you win. And this was another, um, I mean, incredibly important piece of work that I had to do because quite frankly, differentiation then was mediocre. And today it's even less effective you know, with words like we're better, we're best, we're number one, we're the market leader, all those terms don't mean anything to customers. So I had to create what I called my only statement. It goes like this, we are the only ones who, not we're the better, we're the only ones. And that's a huge piece of work that has to be done in answering that third question, how are you gonna compete and win? Because the answer is, we're gonna compete and win by being the only ones who. Right. And so there'll be a statement in there. Now, the only statement can be proven. It's binary. It either exists or it doesn't exist. So I've created a whole process behind that. So the strategic game planning process was at that time light years ahead, and it still is, to be honest, about uh, how people try to address execution. They got the planning system wrong. You can't execute when you're taking 24 months and $6 million to create a strategy. Okay. I'll just kind of leave it at that. The second piece. You got to look at your inside. And I call it, I uh, came up with this notion called cleanse the inside. The whole idea is if there are cogs in the wheel that are stuck and messy inside an organization, then, you know, inertia takes over, right? Viscosity gets reduced to zero, and the machine can't function, it can't produce, it can't deliver. So I call it cleansing the inside. By that, I mean things like getting rid of dumb rules that affect customers that do nothing but piss them off and every organization has them normally they're created by audit in an attempt to control the engagement process as opposed to enable it so i had a whole um whole piece of work and a lot of fun around trying to trying to get rid of dumb rules in the organization and believe me uh, we weren't suffering from a lack of them (laughs) there was a lot of them And for any of your listeners out there that that don't think you have a dumb rule, go ask a frontline person the rules that that really cheese people off, and they'll tell you. So dumb rules was an example. Um, Another one was just kind of like trying to get rid of the bureaucratic grunge and bureaucracy in, in the organization. And I called it cut the crap. So I had a cut the crap program that was targeted at getting rid of all of that stuff in the organization that may have been relevant yesterday, but is no no longer relevant today. Okay. Because there's so much of that goes on in every organization, right? It's the stuff that worked up to now and you got a champion for it and they love it. And you just keep feeding it and feeding it, even though with your new plan and strategy, it's irrelevant. And so we did, we had a whole piece of, uh, of ongoing activity that was constantly looking to to churn out the crap in the organization that was doing what? Preventing people from doing their jobs to do what? Execute the strategy of the organization. The third thing I, want, I just wanna mention is uh, again, so simple, but it's never done, Stephen. I call it line of sight leadership. Like one of the things that I discovered is if people don't understand what their specific role is in terms of executing the new strategy, dysfunction happens in the organization because they will invent. Their own definition of what it means to them, and that's a leadership problem. And so I spend—I mean, oh my God—so much time actually helping people translate their job and their role into what it means to the new strategy, so that we could get everybody working in harmony in the organization, and all of these silo things would disappear. It took a, a long time, and there's not too many many presidents that get into micromanagement like that. And, and I say that's because they don't realize how important it is. If people don't have a direct line of sight to the strategy of the organization, they will create their own behavior. And that can be a problem. OK, when you say, I want you to provide exceptional customer service to 15 people, you are likely to get 15 different definitions of what that means. So what I did, I said, no, we're not going to do that. Here's what it means. And so I put my fingerprints on it fingerprint the customer moment so that people and we, we debated it and everything else and eventually ended up with a template of behavior that people followed and could be measured on. Little things like that. I mean, I can't tell you right through some sort of quantitative metric, you know, the contribution that cut the crap gave to the billion, but I can tell you it worked. I know it worked and people will tell you that it worked and that's good enough for me. I'll go with the billion and say, you know what? There's a hundred little pieces working within that machine to get the billion. I'm not going to figure out, satisfy some analysts, you know, cognitive question about the respective role of each numerically, but I know it worked. But so there's a couple of examples.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had two things that kind of add to that. Um, The first thing is just, it's minor, but you know, part of running a smaller business to become a bigger business, not going from 10 million to a billion, but maybe, but you know, when I went from, you know, 3 million to 25 million, you know, you, you got to build processes and procedures because you, you, you have, have you have to have some, and I I never used to use the word process and procedures because people don't like those words. I used to say the word best practices and they were basically guidelines you know the way uh, the way things that we all agree the way things should get done and i I know sometimes I would you know go and do some due diligence to see how we were executing something, and boy, that was a surefire way for me to get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'd say, well, wait a minute, it's supposed to be done this way. And then I look at the reality and it's being done in a completely different way. And so, you know, I found that having to do those checks allowed me to be, I think it was the word Did you use sight It was, um, line of sight, line of sight. I, I, I kind of think, I don't know if you meant it that way, but that's the way it was for me where if, if once I got in. Why I then saw, oh, well, there's a problem with this best practices because of the practicality of this. And keep in mind, I would have a lot of times my own employees put together the best practice because they're the ones closest to the problem. And so yeah. then we would do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, – I went to this great conference, and it had to do with. I'm I'm relating this to what you're talking about in regards to the quote unquote strategic planning or execution plan, right? Uh, I went to this great. I was at. I was at the. uh, It was a three year program at MIT with. uh, It was a one week program for three years with sixty of the fastest growing companies in the United States. It was an amazing experience, and um, and there was there was a guy who got up there who said that when he gives somebody to a bunch of managers, they execute it exactly the way that he, he told them to do it. But when he gives that same plan to a bunch of entrepreneurs, they all tweak it to, so so it works for the way that they want it to work. So I'm relating this to your strategic plan. And, and one of the things that I used to do a lot of was I really, really liked a format by this guy called Vern Harnish called a one-page strategic plan. And I would use that as my guideline. Um, but when I heard something that I really, really liked that somebody else was doing like yourself, I would add that and take something away from <clears> my <throat> one-page strategic plan so, uh, do you have a methodology that you used and that you've uh refined for your execution plan or strategic plan oh yeah that, yeah, that, I
1: mean, I mean, that is I mean I mean I used it when we started um the journey to a billion, and I still use it today helping small organizations hell i I use the same process for career planning, because it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. Okay. It gets you to focus on doing things. I mean, you're going to fail. That's okay. As long as you learn from it and don't make the same mistake twice, I'm okay with that. Because if you make the same mistake twice, you didn't, you didn't learn from it. So yeah, I've I've built a process that, that literally enables you to walk away in 48 hours with something you can start executing on the 49th. I mean, and the other thing that I've noticed is it's an incredible team building exercise because I just get a CEO or a leader in a room with the executive team and, and they're no different. The leader is treated like another team member and that's got to be the agreement going in. Of course, I know what the narrative and the end game is, so I'm smart enough to know how to, how to, how to help them in that respect, but doing it in a way that, that, that integrates everybody, okay, in terms of the outcome. And uh, yeah, I, I've been doing that for a long time and it's, um, I love doing it.
0: What's the number one biggest problem you've seen with people that you've uh, mentored, helped, coached, um, that, that they're, they're smaller businesses. Um, and what, what do you see on a, com- on a common level? The number one
1: problem is is they don't have an idea that's different than anybody else. And they don't spend enough time asking them the question, how can I create uniqueness in a way that people care about? Like I've had, I've had startup CEOs come in and talk to me about their business plan. And I would say to them, okay, interesting product, interesting idea. How's it different? And they'd go, they'd go, well, I mean, it basically does the same sort of thing, but it blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, so seriously, you need to stop spending money. You need to take a step back. And you need to answer the question why should people do business with you and your new idea and nobody else if you cannot answer that question all you're going to be is you're going to be roadkill and broke and so that whole notion of differentiation hell i got to tell you stephen one of the reasons that i i wrote my seventh book was because i'm so concerned about the world these days and the lack of differentiation i mean i would i would characterize what's going on in in business today as undifferentiation You know, like it's it's amazing to me that customers are never have never been more powerful. Technology has never been changing so quickly. Competition has never been so fierce. And yet we still have companies claim that they're better. We still have companies claiming that they're the best. And all I call it claptrap. And the only way out, as far as I'm concerned, is using what I created called an only statement, which is binary. Hell, people should be getting into that in terms of the the new technologies and so on and so forth. Binary representation, it gives, it gives what I call granularity to the promise. I mean, when you tell me that you're in business to save the home planet, that doesn't really give me the, you know, the motivation that I, I need to go buy from you instead of some other clothing manufacturer. Okay, when you tell me you work hard, okay, good. That may be a value for the organization, but it's not a competitive claim. And yet people use stuff like that as differentiation. And so when it comes to new businesses and small businesses, who, as you said earlier, generally have a, have a struggle to work on their business, it's even more pronounced. And, and I try and, and help them very, very quickly. I do a lot of pro bono work, of course, online, just dealing with people and their only statements and differentiation, et cetera. And once they understand that the question to be asked is why should people buy from you and nobody else? Then they start, because when they use words, well, you should buy from me because I provide the best customer service. Hogwash, hogwash, you know? I, I You should buy from me because I'm the number one market leader in Western Canada, hogwash. That's not gonna be a motivator to, to, to for anybody to buy from you. I did some work for a not-for-profit called St. John's Ambulance, you've probably heard of them up in in BC, Canada here, and we created their, this this is their statement of differentiation or their only statement. St. John Ambulance is the only first aid advocate that provides safety solutions anywhere, anytime. That particular solution or that particular uh, only statement completely revolutionized the business in BC. Because what it basically said is, instead of being in the treatment business, they're in that in the advocacy business, which led them to do a lot of different things, and and they were open for business, twenty four seven anywhere in the province uh, Pro, province of British Columbia, which is a large place, and so it really differentiated them and created essentially a new business, okay, that had to do things differently. So
0: so you're 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 at the telco company. You're a ten billion million dollar company revenue. Uh, the telco company, I guess, uh, did, did they tell you that they're going to spin you off? You said I want to be spun off, or uh, wh- what? What was the situation? It's that's not my question, but I want to know yeah, that no, answer no. before I move on to the next question. And no, it was never spun off. It was a business unit. It was a okay. business unit, and was- then and they 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 okay, and then they brought you on board to run that business unit, or you were already part of it? No, I wasn't. I wasn't part of it. I was I was
1: doing a I was running another operations. So I was in operations at the time, but it was in the kind of like the tra- traditional telco business of running a large business organization in greater Vancouver that was more traditional services and orientation. Okay, so this this new, this new business unit was created out of the data business that was part of that. So we dragged the data business out of that yep. and then grew it uh, into, into using the internet and IP technology. But we revolutionized the data business itself as well because of IP.
0: Yeah, listen, you are you're 100% right about the idea that you know, you you got to you got to be unique out there and what you're what you're providing and it it has to be more than just from a marketing standpoint, right? If you if you, how did you put it? How are you what was the word that you use when you can, when you are talking to yeah. entrepreneurs? How are you different? Different. You have a okay.
1: Unique, special, and, but it's all relative to everyone else. That's a point I want to make. It's not your view of yourself. Yes. Okay, there's too much narcissism going on. Yes. Okay, I think I'm number one wrong. I want to know what what makes you unique in a way that your customers care
0: about. And okay, so I, I, I agree with you. It's and and that's the the that's the uh utopia of entrepreneurship. But having built seven companies myself. I would tell you that coming up with a unique idea that is unique in the marketplace um that is the hardest part of everything and you know, did you have to pivot when you were at 10 million dollars or you just kept executing that business plan
1: I, I, I it changed it it tweaked I tweaked it all the time. I told you I'm a head west planning guy. Okay, And so to the extent that we had to, we had to, to, to uh, morph some of the components of the business based on the realities of execution, we did it. We changed the marketing plan based on responses in the marketplace and competitive moves. We had to do that. So think about it is what we did is we ended up weaving our way to a billion. I've never thought about it that way. And I'm going to write that down because I'm getting older now, Stephen, and I forget your word. (laughs) Me too. Oh, we weaved. But it's it's the truth. I know it doesn't sound elegant. You know this. You're a practical guy. You've run businesses. You know it's not elegant. When somebody says to, I saw the smile on your face, you know exactly what weaving is. That's what we have to do, right? But the thing is, um, yes, it's hard. Okay, finding uh, uniqueness in a highly competitive market is hard, but you know what? We've got smart people, okay? The world is full of them. What we need to do, right, you and I and other leaders is try and guide them in a way and work with them, okay, on something like an only statement. Hell, I just did a a job for a boat boat seller, a, a boat sales company in Toronto, okay, who thought they were in the boat selling business, okay? So they invited me in to help them with a strategic plan okay, we came up with an only statement that took them right out of that business and created uniqueness, okay? So here's what it said. BCI Marine is the only complete service partner committed to delivering solutions to grow a boat dealer's business. Can you see the difference between Hell that yeah. and flogging boats? Yeah. Okay, so, so to your, your question about, about the difficulty, yes, but what I try and do is reframe it, okay? So people are used to thinking about products, taking products to market, and that kind of like productizing a new idea. It's much more than that. It's everything that goes around, right? The, the product and the, the the challenge is to create what that looks like in a way people care about. When I ask these guys, what's, what's your boat dealer's number one problem? You know what they said? Profitability. Okay, let's start working with that idea. They can get a boat from anywhere, okay? They can't get a trusted partner with the financial skills to help them run their business and grow their EBITDA margins. You be that person. Can you do that? Wow. We got to build new competencies, I said, yeah. I said, and I can tell you right now, when you do, your margins are going to go up because you're not flogging boats, right? Yeah, you're that's flogging solution. solutions. So that's, that's an
0: a, I like that. That's that's good. I, I You know, I, I tell you, I'm going to make this really simplistic, and I'm not. Uh, I, I never have. I never really intellectualized this, uh, but I would say this: the businesses that have done very, very well for me were easy to that that done, did well were easy to run, and the ones that uh, that I knew didn't have much of a future was really sorry there's uh, something going on in the background bit. um <laughs> okay. but were was hard so so how can you use that our listeners if you are really, really struggling in your business, you don't have the right positioning for the industry you're in, and if you know there if if you have to be so perfect at execution, then there is um then you 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 kind of need to look at pivoting a little more, right? And pivoting, you know, listen. What I find is, you, you learn something and you make a little change. You <clears throat> learn something, you make another little change. Okay, and 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 I know with financing solutions, the one of the businesses I have now, I have three. That's one of the things that happened. We started off in one product, and then we changed it to another because we learned something. It was still hard, and then we changed it to another, mm-hmm. right? And then we kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until we found that now the business is easy. It's and so um, you know, I listen. There's a there's significant difference between a twenty five million dollar company and a billion dollar company, but well,
1: no. But um, I, I I look at I get what you say. The only thing I would add to that, okay, is of course you're gonna you're gonna pivot. As you as you weave through execution, you have to do that. Okay, but all I would say is make sure that the value proposition up front, yes. that work is solid. I, I agree. You don't, you don't want to be pivoting around something that's irrelevant. Yes, and that's what I keep saying to people. For God's sakes, get the fr- do the work first. Get the work that that will allow you. That gives you the right now to weave it and tweak it on the run and pivot as you see fit, which is absolutely, I agree with you, 100% critical to execution.
0: Yeah, tell us, um, I'm going to go close this window. We're almost wrapping this up anyway, but tell us a little more about, you know, after 40 years of doing this, you know, outside, tell me what you really think the key ingredients to really a great business are, because I know you've talked about it already, but tell us the three things that you think, after forty years of experience, you're like, "Oh, this is it."
1: Yeah, it's differentiation, differentiation, and differentiation. I, I, I'm honestly saying to you that I think the biggest problem that we have in business today is lack of differentiation. <clears throat> um, they're they're all the same in one way or the other. Um, there's there's a couple of reasons for that, and 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 a lot of it goes to you. used the word best practices before and and benchmarking there's way too much copying going on without understanding that the what the purpose is benchmarking and best practices is is really effective in terms of tactical stuff right inside the business all right who who's got the best CRM blah 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 let's find the best practice but people are starting to use that in as a strategic tool and you can't do that you can't copy somebody's strategy okay and and expect it will have incredible outcomes for you. You cannot do that. Okay. It's like if everybody's reading the same books, copying the same practices, all you're doing is increasing what I call a herd of sameness and differentiation gets even worse. Right. And so what I'd like to see, I'd like to be able to feel that people are really getting this idea of, of breaking away from the herd, breaking away, trying to stand out, be special in ways that people care about. Again, I'm not saying this is a, not a narcissist statement of narcissism. It's not about you. It's about how you can be special to the people that you serve. And that's about differentiation. Biggest problem today, in my view.
0: I'm sorry about that. This is like my 450th or so podcast, right? And certainly I've read lots of books and stuff like that. And there, and there are two people that I think have made something that's a profound statement that, that I, um, I think makes a huge difference. And I think today, Roy, your idea about differentiation is one of them. Thank you. You know, so I think it's one of my best podcasts from a content standpoint, like, really if you can focus on you know differentiation in your company i mean i'm not intre- i'm not building any more companies i'm done right i'm just going to keep executing on my businesses i have right now i don't really want to go in that direction anymore so i don't need to kind of you know, do that. But if I was going to build a new company, I know I would. I would much more naturally go into uh, differentiation, not just because of what I heard today, but because it. Uh, but it's just comes. It, it it makes a lot of sense uh, from what I've learned over the year. I want to make things easier, not harder. That's and and by the way, I'll give you. I'll tell you the second one is a guy uh, by the name of Robert Bloom who, uh, started, uh, I, uh, Publicist, which is, was the largest advertising agency ever in, in the United States, uh, in the world. Actually, he, um, I had him as a consultant, uh, come on board to help us with something, his book that he wrote was called the inside advantage. And the idea behind the inside advantage is is, uh, uh, if you build a culture inside of your company that that will uh, the that will make a huge impact on how you execute and um, and and how uh, people view you from the outside You're and right it, it was a it's a great book highly recommend it I, it was the best work I think we ever did it was a branding kind of a project the two but um, so So, Roy, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Really good stuff. Um, I appreciate you coming on. I'd like to thank so very much, uh, Roy Osing, for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And also, if you like today's podcast or any of the other ones, please give us a five-star review. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com again fs as in financing solutions creditline.com uh, Roy if anyone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about your um, how would they go about doing that
1: sure i've got a website be different or dead.com. i've got a page in there that uh, talks about the books that i've got if they're interested in that some information and i blog every week Stephen. so i talk about my stuff literally since 2009 when i wrote my first book I've been blogging. So the content continues to get updated. It gets deeper and deeper. So if people are interested in it, they'll get a lot of information there. And the third thing, I'm happy to talk to people on on Gmail. And my Gmail address is roy.osing at gmail.com. And I'm happy to have a conversation with whatever people want to talk about relative to be different or be dead. And the whole notion of differentiation right now is, is very hot in that respect. There's a lot of people starting to ask a lot of questions, which pleases me immensely.
0: Yeah. And um, the spelling of last name is O-S-I-N-G for those who, who who want that. So, you know, I think you're you're right. There is a huge trend on this because, you know, I think the venture capitalists and the angel funders have gotten well past the idea that they'll fund anything anymore and they want something to be different. I mean, sometimes they're looking for pivoting as well, as well based on the, the jockey of the horse, so to speak. But uh But I think that, you know, I think they've learned their lesson, not, not to just, I don't know, I'm not in that field anymore. I wasn't to, I was studying that. I was involved in angel funding. I didn't fund anything because I didn't really love it. But, uh, um, but I, I think the thing that we're going to take away from today to the summary of today is how are you different? And if you can't articulate that, if you're not, then you better find out a way that you, that you can be. So outside of that, everybody have a great day. Um, Keep working, keep learning. And today was a great podcast.